0: Well, if you were here last week, you heard in Luke chapter 10, Jesus saying to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And that, Now, he's not talking about corn and beans and, and farmers there. The harvest that Jesus is referring to are human beings. They're made in the image of God who have rejected their creator, who have rejected the glory of God. And because of this rejection, they're lost and dead in their sins and they're under the righteous wrath of God. And while the harvest is plentiful, Jesus says, the one thing that is lacking in the harvest are disciples of Jesus who are going to go into the world with the hope of the gospel proclaiming salvation and reconciliation through, through, through with God through faith in Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection. So uh, we'll say it again. Jesus said in Luke 10, the harvest, it's plentiful. In November of last year, the world population hit 8 billion people. Of that 8 billion, over 3.3 billion have not yet heard the name of Jesus. They remain unreached. And so that 3.3 billion is not people have heard of Jesus and, and have, have rejected him. 3.3 billion people in our world today have not even heard the name of Jesus. Let that settle on us for a moment. As we think even of our culture, it's continuing to spiral and decay And to spin more and more into wickedness. Evil is not only being recognized, but celebrated and welcomed. Uh, In the U.S., there's there's a rise in, in those claiming no religious affiliation, while those who identify as Christian are decreasing. In Bloomington Normal, over 51% claim no religious affiliation. Another 16% in our own city hold to a non-Christian religious belief, which means that in a city of roughly 130,000 people, over 85,000 people in our city alone are without hope in Christ. And every Sunday, we, we at the end of our service, we send you into this world. We send you into our city to reach those who are without Christ. 85,000 people in just our surrounding area are in need. Over 200 million in our country do not follow Christ. And over 3 billion people in the world have not even heard the name of Jesus. 3 billion. Let me put that into perspective. If you were to put away $100 a day, it would take you over 82,000 years to reach 3 billion. If you decide, okay, I'm going to count to 3 billion. wonder, how long would it take me to count to 3 billion? So if you didn't eat or sleep, you didn't work, you just sat in a room and counted, it would take you over 300 years to reach 3 billion. If you were to take three billion, a 3 billion step hike, right? Get, get Siri tracking your steps, right? 3 billion is your goal. You'd be able to walk around the circumference of the earth f- over 45 times. Right, do you feel overwhelmed? 3 billion. Do you feel burdened? Do you see and understand the obstacles that are in front of you? All right, when we send you into the world at the end of each service every Sunday, does knowing some of these things now seem like the task that's in front of us is just too much? Yes. Then that's a good place to be. Then you need this text. Then we need the promise that Jesus gives in Acts 1. We need to understand and know that we do not go into this world as, as, as witnesses in our power and strength. right? We can clearly see the task in front of us is far too large for our ability. This is why we need the power and strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come. Jesus has told us that the Spirit would would empower us to be faithful witnesses for the cause of the gospel. But the problem is we far too often rest and rely more in our own strength, our own power, rather than in the, the power that the Spirit gives us, which then leaves us defeated and tired, weary, restless, like I can't do this. And the more that we seek to live then in our own strength and ability, the more we grow in arrogance and pride and self-centeredness. Look what I have done. When we exult in, in, in our ability and effort, the gospel shrinks while we bask in the glow of self-righteousness. Now, I don't think I need to convince any believers in here that, that there is much to be done in the world for the cause of Christ. The question is, will we not Will we not only live as King Jesus has called us to live, as witnesses of his glory and of his gospel, but also will we go in the Spirit's power to do so? In verse 1 of Acts, the author Luke says in his, his first book, which is the recorded gospel of Luke, says he, he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, now the book of Acts then is the continuation of Jesus' words and deeds as accomplished through the church. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus, his words and deeds were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that a little later. God has given us everything we need to make much of Christ in a hardened and sinful world. I'm going to say that one more time. God has given us everything we need to make much of Christ in a hardened and sinful world. There's not one thing that's lacking that if, ah, if he would just help me here, if he just do this, then we'd be able to have an impact. No, he has given us everything we need to make much of Christ in a hardened and sinful world. But we must first die to ourselves. Must die to our pride, our strength, and rest in the power and strength that the Spirit gives us to then be witnesses in our cities and to the end of the earth. So if I could summarize the text before us today, it would be simply this. That the risen King Jesus... sends us into the world, sends his followers into the world to be spirit-empowered witnesses of the kingdom of God. So the text before us today is going to answer really three questions. The three questions it's going to answer is why do we go all right, so why do we go not only into our cities, but to the end of the earth? Well, the first few points that we're going to deal with today are going, to, are going to tackle that question, right? So we're going to look at the fact that Jesus is alive because he's exalted and he's worthy. A second question we're going to ask is, how do we then go? Which we'll tackle in point three again as well. We go empowered by the Spirit. And then there's a, a final question that we'll ask, how long do we go? Right, how long do I keep this up? And that will be tackled in our fourth and final point. Until the king returns. And so Acts 1 is going to be our our primary text today, but I'm going to supplement it with with Luke's other accounting of Jesus' commissioning of his disciples in his ascension in heaven found in Luke 24. So hopefully you have your Bibles already open up in your lap to Acts 1, but uh, go ahead and turn as well to Luke 24 and just put your finger in both both spots because we're going to be going a little bit back and forth between those two accountings uh, today. So we're going to start here this morning with the first question, why do we go? Right? Why do we go? Look at verse 1, 2, and 3 again in the book of Acts. Right? So, so to, to read this again, Luke says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom, So the question again before us is why? Why do we go? Why do we endure suffering and oppression and a persecution and trouble which we will surely face as we go as witnesses of Christ? We will not be welcomed with that message in the world today. So why do we sacrifice our time and our resources, our money to give for this mission? Why do we do this? Well, because the first point is the king is alive. We go because the king is alive. Listen, Christianity rises and falls on Jesus and nothing else. If Jesus is dead, then Christianity is dead. But if Jesus is alive, then Christianity is alive and true. It really is as simple as that. So Luke says in verse 3 of Acts 1 that Jesus presented himself alive. Right? And, and, and and did so by many proofs, Luke says. So what are those proofs? Well, we see some of them listed in Luke 24. So if you're in Luke 24, look at verse 36. All right? So in verse 36, this is the uh, little context of what we're seeing here. This is the evening of the resurrection, resurrection day. So it's been quite a day. All right? So the disciples here that are in this room have not yet seen Jesus. Now, a few of them had gone and seen the empty tomb, but they hadn't seen Jesus himself, but But now some others, though, like like the women who went to the tomb first thing that morning, they did see Jesus. Some of them saw Jesus. And now word was beginning to spread that Jesus is being seen Right? And so verse 36 picks up with these two guys running to find the disciples because they had just had a conversation with Jesus on this road to this village called Emmaus. And so they, they, they have this interaction with him. They don't know it's him at first. And all of a sudden, Jesus reveals himself, and then he, he's gone. And so the disciples, like these two guys, book it to, to where the disciples are to tell them, here's what's happened. And this is where we pick it up in verse 36. It says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. I just love that. It's like, they're like, what's going on? We saw Jesus and Jesus kind of just appears and like, hey guys, what's up? Like, that's kind of literally the the picture we see here. Peace to you. Hey, what are you guys talking about? But, But as they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is my I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they were still disbelieving for joy, they were marveling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a, a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And so we see in Luke 24, Jesus presenting himself alive by many proofs. And and he's proving his, his, the fact that he's risen by having them touch him and observe his hands and his feet and eats a meal in front of them. He's like, no, it's, it's me. Now, now why? I want to focus in just here on why his hands and his feet. Well, what, what had just taken place that weekend? His crucifixion, right? Nails were, were hammered through his hands and through his feet. Now Jesus here has a, a risen body, but as he's gloriously transformed, he still bears here, we see, the scars of his suffering. I mean, how beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? That he, in his resurrected body, still bears the scars of his sacrifice. I mean, that means for all of eternity, all of eternity. We're, we're going to enjoy life forever with Christ in this new heaven a new earth. And the church, as we enjoy this, this, this communion with Christ forever, the church is going to be continually reminded of the cost and the sacrifice which brought it about. And at the same time, we're going to be reminded of the unbelievable love that Christ had for his people as he willingly went and laid down his life. And still here and now, The scars that Jesus showed his disciples was reason for them enough to to now go and be witnesses, right, to the end of the earth. Not not only is Jesus the one true king, he's the king who has defeated death, mankind's enemy. See, a king is only worth following if he is, in fact, alive. But a a king that, that triumphs over death, who reigns over death, is one worth following into eternity and to the end of the earth. It's a king that's worth following, knowing we'll face suffering and and oppression and persecution. You see, being a witness of Jesus will bring about suffering. If Jesus suffered, we will suffer as well. But because Christ overcame suffering and death, we who belong to him will overcome through him and through the power of the Spirit. Like Jesus, as witnesses, we will bear the scars of, of, of suffering for the cause of Christ, but through Christ will overcome because he has overcome. Probably most of you in this room have, if not all of you, have probably never heard the name uh, Robert Cheesebra, but I guarantee you, you've heard of the product that he invented. He invented Vaseline. Now Robert, he believed so much in his product that he became his own guinea pig, meaning this, that he, he actually burned himself with acid and with flame. He cut and scratched himself so often and so deeply that he, through his life, he bore the scars of his test the rest of his life, but he proved his product worked. People would only have to look at his wounds that were now healed to see the value of what he had created. You see, Jesus bore the, the scars to prove his death was, was real and sufficient. His resurrection proved that the, the payment that he made with his life was, was good, So do we, like Christ then, with our own lives, show that he's worthy of our suffering, that Jesus is alive and worthy of our worship and our affection and our adoration. And so does our witness, does our witness of Christ bear testimony to the hope that comes in Christ above all things? That regardless of what we lose or what we give up, if we gain Christ and have Christ, that's enough and we come out victorious. Does our life reflect that? Does it reflect the joy that comes from following a risen king? So why do we go, point number one, well, the king's alive. But point number two, why do we go? The king has been gloriously exalted. Take a look back in Acts 1 verse 9. It says, and when when he had said these things as they were as they were looking on, he was, he was lifted up, right? And a cloud took him out of their sight. In, in Luke 24, in verse 51, it says that he left them and was, was carried up into heaven. Uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, we were, as we're walking through the gospel of Mark, uh, we were talking about the second coming of Christ. And, and you may recall from a few weeks ago that, that Jesus said that when he returns, he's coming in the clouds, now all that's significant because, because throughout the Old Testament scriptures, right, God's presence and his glory has been seen through the the, the pillars of clouds. And so in Exodus 13, God's presence leads the people uh, of Israel away from Egypt from from enslavement in in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In Exodus 19, God's presence rests on Mount Sinai, right? Before God's giving the law, his presence rests on Mount Sinai in a thick cloud, Exodus 19 says, in Exodus 33, any time that Moses would go and meet with God in the in this tent of meeting, a, a thick cloud would cover the entire tent. And so we see that throughout the Old Testament. It's a picture of God's presence and his glory. So when Jesus hears he's ascending back to the Father, he's, he's got, being carried up into heaven in a cloud, it's significant. It, it's not saying that was a cloudy day. It's signifying Jesus' glory and exaltation and authority over heaven and over earth. That this exaltation and authority is what, what Paul speaks of in Philippians 2, following the death of Christ. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 8-11, says that Jesus being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, Therefore, because of the death of Christ, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and and under the earth. And that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Matthew 28, when Jesus commissions his disciples, the great commission to go make disciples of of all people, of all nations, of all tribes, languages, tongues, he declares first, first that the authority, the reason why they go, the reason why he sends them is because he says in verse 18, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that I reign over all, so go, go make disciples, go testify, go be witnesses, you see, Jesus' life and death and resurrection brought the, the kingdom of God, right? Like all authority, he says, has been given to him, heaven and earth. He's king. And, and, and his return is going to bring about the final consummation of the kingdom where, where every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that, that, that this consummation will bring an end to sin and to death. It will be fully and finally destroyed. But until that day, we live as the church in between Jesus' ascension and his return. The church lives then as witnesses of his kingship, of his glory that the church of Jesus Christ, we are an outpost of the kingdom of God who live in such a way that we're, we're living and revealing that we are subjects to his reign and his rule. And we reveal then to the world as witnesses of his reign what life under his rule looks like. That's good, that it's freeing, that it's joy-filled, And this is where we individually and corporately as the body of Christ need to press in then and examine our lives, right? Like, are we seeing Jesus as the the gloriously exalted king over our lives? Do our lives reflect his ultimate authority over us? Or or have we placed other inferior authorities aside from Christ over our lives that that we place as ultimate authorities over us? Maybe it's the authority of self, the authority of emotion, right? What I feel is right is what I want to do rather than submitting to God's word. Maybe it's the authority of of success and accomplishment, striving to be recognized by others. There's so many other authorities that we place over us that we think that will bring sense and, and value to our life. And we shove Christ's authority to the side. There's really no no shortage of inferior or false authorities in the world that seek to rule us. But often what we, what we give authority over our lives is not as life-giving as what it may seem. For decades, anyone who is living within a, a five to six mile uh, radius of, of a certain hat factory in Denver, Pennsylvania, uh, they used to set their clocks and their watches by the, the sirens that the factory would set off five days a week. So at 5.30 in the morning, right, the, the first wake-up siren would, would begin the day and the entire town would hear the siren. And it would be followed by the, the start of the day siren for work and then a lunchtime siren and middle of the day and then a, finally a quitting siren at all these designated times. And the entire town of Denver, Pennsylvania set their days by these sounds. So when the siren system was, was eventually disbanded, Uh, Someone once asked the timekeeper at this factory about his job, the guy that was responsible for for making a siren go off at certain times every day. And so he was asked what he used to determine the exact time. And so the time that this whole town was setting their day by. And so this timekeeper chuckled. He reached into his pocket, and he he pulled out a, a child's Mickey Mouse watch. See, some experts are not as authoritative as they may seem. Anything we place over our lives ahead of the authority of Christ is foolish and childish. So does your life reflect glad and joyful submission to Christ as king? Are we witnesses of his glory and his lordship? Um, what, what What are the idols of your heart that often take precedence over King Jesus? How do these idols then interfere with the mission Jesus has given us to be witnesses that's point number two. Point number three, we're going to answer the why and a how. Why do we go, but also how do we go? Well, why do we go is because point number three says the king is worthy. How do we go? He's worthy of joyful, spirit-empowered proclamation. So back in Acts 1 verse 8 says, this is maybe the key of, key verse of all of the book of Acts. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Really the rest of the book of Acts is this verse, verse 8, being played out. Jesus ascends back to God the Father. The Spirit comes and the, the world is turned upside down as these disciples give witness to the life and death and resurrection of Christ. The mission right here, though, that was given to these disciples sitting on that mountaintop that day has not changed for the church. Who are these witnesses today as we read Acts 1? We are. All believers. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a witness of his life, his death, his resurrection. Which means that every believer needs to live with a missionary mindset. It was Charles Spurgeon who once preached to his church. He said this line that every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, what does that mean? And what do I mean by having a missionary mindset? Well, what do missionaries do when they, when they cross cultural barriers? Right? When, when missionaries are looking to the cross cultural barriers, they, when they're looking to enter new countries, well, they, they learn the language, they learn the culture. They, they seek to, to figure out what, what are the cultural idols that, that, that are present where I'm going. What's the common value? What, what, what kind of bridges and brings everybody together here? Now this may, this may come as a shock to us, but not every, everyone acts or thinks like Americans in the world today. And so missionaries, when they go, they, they want to learn the culture that, that they're seeking to engage because they want to engage that culture and speak a better story into that culture than what that culture is currently believing. We see this throughout the book of Acts. The, the, the content of the gospel doesn't change, but, but methods do. When the Jewish people are being evangelized in the book of Acts, Old Testament passages are being used to show them, here's how Jesus is the fulfillment of these Old Testament scriptures. Here's how it points to Christ. But when Paul's engaging with the Greeks or the Gentiles, like we see in Acts 17, he's using a more academic approach he goes into their, their culture and he's identifying these common heart idols. They, he, he walks around, sees all these idols set up, and even one that's listed to an unknown God. So he, he sees there's a desire within them to worship something or someone. And so he, he speaks into that. And even as you read Acts 17, he uses their own poets, their own poets to show them, do you see how your hearts, you Greeks, right? Do you see, do you see how your hearts are searching for truth? You're searching for meaning? Let me show you how Jesus is the answer to what your hearts are longing for, how he's the savior that your hearts are longing for. You see, we need to live with that same mindset as witnesses, with this missionary mindset. So with that being said, what would you identify as the heart idols in Bloomington Normal? What about your neighbors? What What are they hoping in? What do they see as the remedy for life's pain and suffering, I guarantee you, they're looking to something to, to, to be witnesses, we need to, to not only know those things, but, but then to know how to share then a, a better story that, that reveals Jesus as their eternal hope. And if, if you're like, well, that's why we have pastors, right That's why we have missionaries. They're the ones that go do that, that work. Now, if, if, that's your, if, you, if that's your thinking here, like I, I'm not, that's not me. Like, you're wrong. You're wrong. I don't live next door to your neighbor. You do. You know what my responsibility is as a pastor here before God from Scripture is to equip you to do the work. Ephesians 4. But as we see, this witness then needs to expand beyond our street, beyond our neighborhood, beyond our city. You see, as the gospel is spread and shared through our witness, That's when the church multiplies outward to to not only our surrounding region, right? Through new churches that are being planted but expands to our our nation. Then it expands across borders, especially in areas of the world that still remain unreached. And if you're thinking, again, that's, that's too much. That's just too much to be asked of me. I work at State Farm. I work at Country or ISU or I teach or I'm a stay-at-home mom. Like, you're you're the one. You're the one that's standing up there today. You're the one who went to school for all this theological training. How in the world am I supposed to do this? That's a great place to be. The answer is, how can you do it? You can't, (laughs) right? You can't, which is why Jesus says you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8 again. What's, what's Jesus say in verse 8? He says, but you will receive, what's that word? Say it out loud. Power. You will receive power. Luke 24, verses 48 through 49, Jesus says that you're witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with, what's that word? Power. Stay until you're clothed with power from on high. Until that power rests on you. What do we need to to face the the, the task that is in front of us? We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do these things. And thank God he gives us the Spirit. The Spirit of God who is active in creation. The Spirit of God who is active throughout the story of the Old Testament. empowering, Empowering the saints of old to accomplish all that God had given them. The Spirit of God who empowered Jesus to do what he accomplished on earth. The Spirit of God which raised Christ from the dead. That same Spirit who's been active in creation from Genesis 1, who is part of the triune God. right? That Holy Spirit has been given to us, resting on us. Now what you might be thinking, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, Yes. Look at, look at Acts 1, verse 2. It says Jesus gave his disciples commands, how? Through the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized and the Spirit of God rested on him. We read that in Matthew 3, verse 16. It says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. It sounds similar to how the Spirit rests on us. In Luke 4, Jesus then is led into the wilderness following his baptism. where he, he, He's fasting and he's dependent upon his father alone for the, 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 the task that was ahead of Jesus himself. He's there in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil uh, to, to, to reveal and to show that he is the true Messiah. So in Luke 4 verse 1, we see Jesus full of the Holy Spirit Returned from the Jordan, that's following his baptism, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's there 40 days. He then comes out of the wilderness to begin his public ministry, empowered by the Spirit, Luke 4.14 says. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. In Acts 10, verse 38, says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And here's where you find your encouragement as we go, as faithful, spirit-empowered witnesses, that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now empowers you and gives life to you. Romans 8, verse 11 says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Jesus turned the world upside down through his words and his deeds as he was empowered by the Spirit of God. We now, the church, continue his mission. He has ascended. He's given the mission to the church to continue this mission of his life, his death, his resurrection. But we go, in the same way he went, as spirit-empowered witnesses. We're spirit-empowered witnesses of Christ who live by God's grace as Jesus lived, doing good deeds and faithfully proclaiming the gospel. And so do you live with a missionary mindset? What, What are the heart idols of our city? What are people hoping in? What gives them a a sense of identity and worth? And how might you, through the Spirit's power, help the name of Christ spread not only throughout our city, but to the nations where Christ has not yet been named? So what does your prayer life look like in in regard to your neighbors, in regard to our our nation, our city? What's it look like in regard to unreached people groups? If you're a believer, you, you have the Spirit of God empowering you. But we've got to die to self. We've got to trust. We need to, to depend on him. We need to pray. We need to soak in God's word to our, to our bones if we're going to be spirit-empowered witnesses. So that's the why and the how. But lastly, really quickly here, how long? How long do we do this? Because, okay, I can get, I, okay, I get it, but man, this is hard, and it's, it's gonna be grueling, and it's gonna be difficult, so how how long do I keep this up? Well, point number four, that the king's mission remains unchanged until his return. That's verses 10 and 11 of Acts 1. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so, so here we are. Jesus has ascended, right? He's ascended. The disciples are are watching in awe as as if like all of us would be. Like that, that's a pretty r- remarkable moment that we that these guys have just witnessed. Jesus like being carried up into heaven in the, the presence of God, the glory of God, right? Exalted over heaven and earth. So the disciples are are staring upward, watching in awe, but but they have a mission now. And they have a task ahead of them. And so these two messengers of, of God, these two angels are there to, to remind them, okay get to work, get to work. They're saying to them, listen, he's coming back. He's coming back. But until then, remember what he, what did he just said, you're witnesses, go witness. Right? See, all of us in this room, we all have lots of responsibilities. All of us in this room have lots of things that we're in, in charge of and, and, and need to do. But never forget first and foremost that if you are in Christ, you are a witness, you're a witness, meaning that we are to live with a, a single-minded pursuit to make much of Jesus in every domain of our life. Because you might be thinking, okay, what, like, what's this mean to have to quit my job? Am I supposed to, like, just to go knocking door to door? Like that's just what I'm doing 24-7? Like what, what's this mean that this is my single-minded pursuit in all domains of life? Well, Scripture is helpful for us here. See, 1 Corinthians 10.31, the Apostle Paul writes, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Like I said, we all have responsibilities in this room. And most of the responsibilities that we have are good. I'm not talking about, up here about us having to dump them. What, what I'm talking about, though, is are we seeing them through the lens of bringing glory to God? Are we seeing all that we're responsible for, all that we're charged with in our day-to-day life, in the rhythm of our life? Do we see that through the lens of this is about bringing glory to God, about speaking a better story? um, Let's take one. Most of us have jobs in this room. Our our jobs are are not, though, our identity. But through our jobs and careers and how we work and how we engage with coworkers and how we work, we we do so with integrity is Meant to bring glory to God. So our culture is going to speak a different story, right? Our culture is going to say, um, they're going to try and disciple us to say, no, you find your job or career to find your value. You find your worth and your identity and your mission in that job or that career. Where scripture says, no, we have a better story to tell. I already have value and worth and identity and a mission, right? That, that comes from, from, from my creator. That comes from who I am, which leads us then into our jobs. So, so that means every aspect of our life is meant to, to be lived, to, to bring glory to God. And by, by doing so, we, we live counter-culturally as spirit-empowered witnesses. Again, like I said, we're telling a better story, right? The person who says, no, you find your value, identity, and worth in your job. Well, what happens on retirement day, right? Do, do you lose all that? Some people think that. What do I do now? Where, where believers say, no, nah, it's not your identity. It's not your value or worth. Jobs come and go, but value, worth, identity, that stays because that's, that's God-given. That's speaking and telling a better story. But we do need to ask, though, are the things in our lives or the things that we put in our lives, are they ways in which we can tell that better story or are they distractions from the mission that God's given us? Right? There, there actually might be some things in our lives that we do need to say no to right? so that we stay on course until the king returns or takes us home. In Jules, Jules Verne's novel, uh, The Mysterious Island, he tells of these, these five men who escape a Civil War prison camp, and they, they escape by, by hijacking a hot air balloon. And so as they, they rise into the air, they, they realize that the wind is carrying them over the ocean. And so they're, they're watching their, their homeland disappear on the horizon, and so they're, they're wondering to themselves, how much longer can this balloon stay in the air? And so as the, as the hours pass and the, the, the surface of the ocean draws closer and closer, the men decide that they've got to start throwing things overboard. Some of the weight... Right, for They had no way to actually heat the air in the balloon. So they, they threw their shoes and overcoats, and then even they threw weapons are, are reluctantly thrown over, overboard. And they, they feel then the, their balloon begin to rise as the weight is, is, is thrown overboard, but only temporarily. Soon they find themselves dangerously close to the waves of the ocean again, so they, they toss their food overboard. They say to themselves, well, it's better to be high in the air and hungry than to drown on a full belly. Unfortunately, though, this too is only a temporary solution and, and the balloon continues to descend, again threatening to lower the men into the, the sea. And So one man had this idea. He says, well, we can tie the ropes that hold a passenger car and sit on those ropes. And so the, what they do is they, they, they cut away the basket beneath them. And so as they sever the very thing that they were, they were standing on, it drops into the ocean, but the balloon rises high into the air. Finally, they spot land. The five jump into the water, and they swim to that island, and they live. But they lived, and they were spared because they were, they were able to discern the difference between what really was needed and what was not. See, the necessities to them, they, they once thought they couldn't live without, were actually the very weights that were also costing them their very lives. See, the, the writer of Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews 12.1. says, let us lay aside every weight And sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. So what are the the distractions in your life? What are the weights in your life that maybe do need to be cut loose so that we stay on mission? It, It may cause you to look differently in the world as we don't cling to the things maybe the world says are valuable, but again we're we're speaking a better story. What are the sins in your life that do need to be put to death? I close with, with this. We, we, we worship a risen king. A king who has been exalted, who's been given a name that's above every name. This king is worthy of our adoration, our worship, and our proclamation. He is worthy to be spoken of and boldly declared. The king has commissioned us and to go empowered by the Spirit to the ends of the earth with the hope of the gospel. And we are to continue undistracted until either Christ takes us home or he returns. So the question is, are you in the game? Are you in the game? The life of a believer is not one of boredom or apathy. It's truly one of excitement and adventure and glory. But it is one of grace-driven effort. We, we get to be on the front, front lines Jesus is redeeming people and bringing them from darkness into the the light, their debt being paid and canceled, new life, given hope, eternal. And we get get a front row seat to see all of what God is doing through Christ. We get to see racial barriers and cultural barriers and language barriers and geographical barriers and all other barriers broken down as Jesus the king saves people from every tribe and language and tongue through the proclamation of faithful, spirit-empowered witnesses who go. Does that excite you? Is is the task ahead of us large? Yes. Yes. Will there be pain and suffering along the way? Yes. Will it involve sacrifice? Yes. But will it be worth it all? Yes. Why? Because he's alive. The king has gone before us. He's paved the way because the king has destroyed the power of sin and death because the king has overcome the world. This means that the obstacles that we see in front of us are no obstacles at all if we go in the power of the spirit of God. Christ will be proclaimed to all people. He is building his church and scripture says not that the gates of hell aren't gonna be able to stop it. The, the victory belongs to Christ. The, pro, the question is, is, are we gonna Are we going to be witnesses of that? So will you go in the Spirit's power to make much of Christ, to expand the kingdom of God in in our Jerusalem, right, our city, to see it spread to our Judea and Samaria, our region, our nation, and to the end of the earth? Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning asking you to do what only you can do. And so maybe this is a time where we need to once again confess Uh, that far too often we rest and and, uh, look to ourselves to do what only you can do. And and so we are, uh, we're we're selling ourselves way too short in that. God, that that if we would get out of the way and and let the Spirit of God work and empower and move, and if we would go as faithful and Spirit-empowered witnesses, resting in Him, trusting in Him, asking for His, His power, that the things that we'd be able to see and witness and be a part of would, would just blow our minds because you are at work. You are not silent in this world. It may seem sometimes that you are, but you are not. And so open our eyes to see where you are actively at work in, in the lives of people and drawing them to your son. God, may we, may we confess where we have fallen short. Confess where maybe we have not been those witnesses of your life, your death, resurrection. as as you've called us to be. And so the beauty of the gospel is that there's grace and forgiveness.